Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, called Religion and the Kingdom. Five major warning, scary warning passages of the book of Hebrews basically say to that group of believers, if you go back there to the blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews 10, 4, that can never take away your sin, there will be no sacrifice for your sin. There's no efficacy in that. There's nothing that the blood of a bull or a goat can do for you or a lamb or anything else because the Messiah has come to fulfill that. Amen? That's what Jesus came to critique. He came to critique the system that has been now fulfilled by the new covenant, hence the new and old wineskins, the new clothing and the old clothing, etc. But it starts off here with a question, the third in the chapter so far. Then, 14, Matthew 9, the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast But your disciples, and implied as you and your disciples, since you lead them, do not fast. Now we see three religious groups in the verses leading up to this. Look at your Bible with me. In verse three, we see the scribes. Jesus told a paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes, religious group number one, said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, how inconvenient for them said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? And then, of course, he heals the paralytic. We've already studied that together. The second group, we have the scribes in verse 3. We have the Pharisees in verse 11. Jesus has called Matthew from the tax collector's booth, Matthew 9, 9. He would be a hated man in his generation. He was probably collecting from fishermen. And Jesus called him. And Matthew was so excited about following the Lord, he threw a dinner party, remember, at his home, It was an IRS dinner party. Remember that from last week? Something you really want to go to. So Jesus is there reclining in this home. Everybody's having a good time, eating and drinking. And outside, peering into the windows, are the Pharisees. And look what they say. They say, when the Pharisees saw this 11, they said to his disciples, probably finding the nearest one to bend their ear, why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners. Now, second group, second question. Jesus will go on to say, verse 12, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick, and that God is a God of compassion. That's verse 13. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Praise God that he reached down into my mess and called me out of that. And then the third group is identified as the disciples of John. That's verse 14. That's John the Baptist. These are early Baptists. It's kind of a joke. But, and do you know how you could identify them? They had camel's hair suits on, and they're holding boxes of honey nut, locust, and wild honey cereal. (laughs) But they couldn't eat it because they were fasting. Now, what we learn from Uh, an extra biblical source and Luke 18 verse 12 if you're taking notes is that the Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays 
And there is nothing in the Bible that mandated that fast. In fact, there's only one holy day, one feast in the seven feasts of Israel in the Old Testament that required a fast. It was a one-day fast, and it was on Yom Kippur, or what we know as the Day of Atonement. Outside of that, there is absolutely no required fast in the entire Bible. Yet, the Pharisees fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. Some scholars say they fasted only during daylight hours. Perhaps it was a 24-hour fast on Mondays and Thursdays. The setting of the question is Matthew's house, the party going on. From what we can tell, the party's still the setting. People eating and drinking, Jesus and his disciples, and people are probably fasting at the moment. The Pharisees and the disciples of John. And they look in and they're like, do you know when you're being spiritual and other people aren't? And you're like, how could you? Eating and drinking. Look at, look at him. Look at what he's eating over there. Don't even take another bite. (laughs) Now why? Why would there be a guilt complex? Why would they have an issue? Because they had a man-made tradition of fasting twice a week. And their tummies were a little rumbly. And they were, have you heard this word before? Hangry. Have you heard that? Hangry. Combination of hungry and angry. Right? And they were peering in with the judgmental eye. How dare them? This is a fast day, and they're feasting. Warren Wiersbe said, the Christian life should not be a funeral. It should be a feast. Amen? Amen. Now, there's going to be times, of course, when we mourn and stuff like that. But look, we're in the kingdom. We're forgiven people. So we need to have the joy of the Lord. And Jesus had the oil of joy more than his companions, Hebrews 1, verse 9. So the question from disciples of John the Baptist. Why? Now, the Pharisees and the disciples of John were no friends. They weren't chummy. In fact, when the Pharisees came where John was baptizing, John called them a brood of vipers. (laughs) That's not politically correct language, by the way. Basically, you generation of slimy snakes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So if the Pharisees and disciples of John are getting together on something, you know that this is probably something important to them. And the issue is all about fasting. Religious groups have a lot of rules. And a lot of rules have emerged in church history. In fact, some people thought, in order to take my faith seriously, I got to live in a monastery, wear a robe, and kind of just be like a monk. Some uh, took a vow of celibacy even though they didn't have the gift of singleness and celibacy and so suffered their whole lives thinking that they were pleasing to God by not being married. And that was a man-made rule. There's nothing in the Bible that argues for that. It argues it as an option if you have the spiritual gift. And so people did that because they would think, ah, I'm taking my faith seriously now. There's a story of a monk who did this and he took a vow of silence. He could only speak a couple words once a year. Can you imagine that? So the year came, first year went by, and they said, what do you have to say? And he said, bed hard. Okay, they wrote that down. Another year goes by, now he can speak again, and he says, food cold. Well, by the time the third year came, he was disgusted, and he was done. 
And they said, what do you want to share? And he goes, I'm done. I'm over. You know, I can't do this anymore. And they go, no wonder. You've been complaining ever since you got here. But I have to say, give some credit to the disciples of John for coming to Jesus like men instead of murmuring somewhere off to the side or backbiting in someone's ear. They came to him and maybe they were hurt. Maybe they were a little confused like, okay, why is it that you, you are always with these people and you always seem to be eating and drinking and we're over here suffering because we're serious about our faith in God? And the question is, is that what makes you serious? Here's a further question. Why are there still disciples of John the Baptist? Do you know that John the Baptist was thrown in prison and later a message will come from John via his disciples and he will say to Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And I wonder if John languishing in prison may have concluded that perhaps Jesus wasn't the Messiah because of stuff like this. Because John lived a very ascetic life. Only ate locusts and wild honey, wore a camel's hair garment, called his generation to repentance. But then we know John pointed people to Jesus. So how do we navigate things like this? What's going on? Well, as you turn to the book of Acts for a moment, hold your place in Matthew, we'll come back. I want you to turn to Acts chapter nine, first of all. And I want to say something about the new wine and the new covenant. Our ultimate truth tests, Acts chapter nine, are what the New Testament says. Now, there are people in our culture who say, if Jesus didn't address something, then basically all bets are off and you can kind of do what you want to do in this area because Jesus didn't specifically address this. Now, I want to say that the Bible says that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Literally, the language is breathed out by God. And since Jesus is God, all scripture is from Jesus. But I want you to see something in Acts chapter nine and then we'll move to this question of the disciples of John. Look at verse 15, Ananias has been spoken to by the Lord Jesus to go and pray for Saul. Saul's a brand new convert and he's being instructed to go lay hands on him and pray for him. And Ananias has questions like, Lord, don't you know who this guy is? He's destroying your church. And Jesus shares these words, Acts 9, 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go for he, that Saul who becomes Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. Now, the New Testament Pauline corpus, what that means is all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonian letters, the, the letters of, to Titus and Timothy, we call them the pastoral epistles, are from the pen of Saul, who is Jesus' chosen instrument. Are you with me? We have a culture war going on right now. But my deeper concern is the war within the church. 
Because many professing evangelical leaders are saying, well, if Jesus never addressed A, B, and C, then it doesn't matter. You need to see that Paul's pen is an instrument of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk in Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. What that means is all the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonian letters, the, the letters of, to Titus and Timothy, we call them the pastoral epistles, are from the pen of Saul, who is Jesus' chosen instrument. Are you with me? We have a culture war going on right now. But my deeper concern is the war within the church. Because many professing evangelical leaders are saying, well, if Jesus never addressed A, B, and C, then it doesn't matter. You need to see that Paul's pen is an instrument of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that what Paul wrote is divine truth from the heart of Christ. Now that, that is something really important to understand because in the new wine of the gospel, the critique that Jesus has, he, he of course, God's truth doesn't change, but he's fulfilling Old Testament shadows, but he's not changing the moral law of God. He fulfills the Torah, the sacrificial system, if you will, but Jesus has all the, the heart of God does not change and it's just fulfilled. I hope you get my point. This is not an out for those who would argue. And, and let me just say, there are some, I'll put in quotes, progressive pastors who are frankly are just, it's another name for liberalism, who deny biblical truth and kind of pander the, to the culture. Now, I just want to say this with as much compassion as I can muster up. The issue is not name-calling or anything like that. The issue is truth. Because Jesus said truth would set you free. I shared a quote on Wednesday night. I stole it from somebody else. He put it this way. If you 
go with the spirit of the age. He said, if you marry the spirit of the age, you will be a constant widower. In, In Matthew 11, Jesus says, John the Baptist did not eat or drink. He lived the life of uh, the Nazarite vow. And you said he has a demon. This is in Matthew 11. The son of man came eating and drinking, participated in the world, if you will, or reached out uh, and crossed some of those social boundaries. And you say he's a gluttonous and a wine-bibber. But wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're darned if you do, And darned if you don't. And this is true in the religious circles, at least of that day as well. Let me give you one example, and I'll move on from it. In our cultural wars right now, Target's at the center of much of what's going on, right? Their displays and so forth. And I I think you guys know what's going on. So there was some pressure from parents and more conservative people. And some of the stores moved the displays to the back of the store. Well, the people on the other side in favor of the displays got mad at Target. And so they started boycotting Target and the conservative groups were already boycotting Target and they were getting it from both directions. So I heard an interview and this guy said this and you need to hear this for your own just insight into this issue. This guy said that behind all publicly traded companies, behind Wall Street, is a group of elites that are very influential and they have a grading system for all publicly traded companies. And you have to hit a minimum requirement in uh, what they call diversity and inclusion kind of stuff to hit the minimum score to please those guys. And basically the bottom line is that it's all about the money. They know if they put something out there, if a company is going to lose money, they position themselves to make money if a company, you know, uh, goes, goes south. And they know how to position themselves to make money if the company does well. Just listen to this statistic. In the last two weeks, Target has lost $12.7 billion in stock. Now, I didn't say that for you to applaud, but whatever. Because I don't applaud the demise of anybody, really. But, but let me just say this. But, but do you see what's happened is perhaps for some... You, look, you, why do you start a business? Well, you may want to have a positive influence on society, but you, you start a business to make money. So there's something else going on here, right? And whenever you're in doubt, follow the money. There's something else going on, and, there, and there's scoring going on. But the people behind it, please hear me. The individuals caught up in the debates on both sides and in between are the collateral damage. They could care less about you because you are just a means to their end. Now, I'm not saying there's not some middle ground here. All I'm saying is this. When you follow the money, these people don't care who they step on as long as they can position themselves to serve the God of mammon. You need to understand that. Because man is fickle and man will move on from you without giving it a second thought. They could care less. Now Jesus cares. And obviously he's crossed all these social boundaries. Move over to Acts 18 for a second, a little bit further to your right. Because he cares. And I, and I want to say this to 
every Christian hearing my voice. If we lead only with everybody's doing everything wrong and we don't lead with the good news of the gospel and the compassion of God, we got it wrong. What were you saved from? Oh, your sins may look different, but aren't you glad that a messenger of Christ, an ambassador of the gospel, maybe somebody on the radio, podcast, television, preached hope to you to pull you out of the mire of your sin? I'm sure glad because I had created a mess for myself. And the gospel reached into my mess and Jesus washed me in his blood. If the church loses sight of the leading with the gospel, we're in trouble. Now, yes, we've got to try to speak to our culture, but I think it's got to start here in the church where we say, look, let's, let's get truth right. We can speak the truth in love. Now, I want to just address the, uh, these disciples of John just for a second. Look at Acts 18, 24. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, Acts 18, 24, an eloquent man came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, but notice, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. My point is this. Some people that day had only heard the baptism of John. They needed more information about the full gospel of Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila were there to explain. Look at Acts 19, verse 1. It came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there was a Holy Spirit. He said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues or other languages and prophesying. There were, there were in and all, interestingly enough, about 12 men. And he entered the synagogue, Paul did, and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. That's our theme through Matthew. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way, that's Christianity, before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, probably these that he had ministered to or witnessed to, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. This took place for two years so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Back to Matthew chapter nine. Here's my point. Along the way, there were people who had heard part of the truth. And part of our job, when we're speaking to people who profess to be Christians or maybe are interested in the things of God, is to patiently share truth in love, right? That's what 2 Timothy 2 says. We need to be patient with people. You've been listening to Religion and the Kingdom, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 14 through 17. 
If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We would also love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teachings today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. We're walking through the incredible gospel of Matthew the gospel of the kingdom. I pray that you're being blessed by it. Hey, if you listen to us on podcast, would you share this with a friend? If you're listening over radio, tell a friend about what you're hearing. Would you keep us in prayer? We would love to do more in 2024, like to be on more radio stations. And we have some amazing partners. Would you partner with us at Walk in Truth? You, know, you can go to the website anytime, 24-7, walkintruth.com. Click on that donate tab. Please pray for us. And we just want to be found faithful, my friends, my brothers and sisters. Some of you have been listening for a long time. I'm grateful for you. Hey, keep praying and let's see what the Lord will do in 2024. Let's be about his business. Amen and amen. We'll see you tomorrow. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 14 through 17, called Religion and the Kingdom. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.